Hey everybody, hope you're doing well and staying safe. Welcome to this week's Talking That Trash with myself and my brother Steve. Uh, we're just going to get right into it. We talk a lot about The Last Dance, as per usual, and we also talk about the passing of Jerry Stiller. He was a favorite of ours from probably both of our favorite show of all time. Again, we're talking about this on Skype and doing it that way, and we probably will be doing this until all this social distancing stuff is able to safely calm down. So if there's a technical or an audio glitch here and there, as always, I'm sure you will understand. That's about all. I don't want to take too long. Let's just get into it and talk about The Last Dance. All right, here we go. gotta explain what talking that trash is uh were you because you have to refresh my were you with us when it happened i don't think i was but i do remember the guy yeah um that said it um just from a different circumstance and a different night but i think for anybody who's listening in any city who's ever played basketball anywhere you've been at those runs where it's not a good run like just off top it's a bad run you know when you're getting your shoes on and you're going on the court and being like, one, I hope I don't get hurt. Two, I hope I don't get into it with anybody here because it's really not a good look. And three, let me just try and get through this without feeling yeah. worse about my game. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the Edmonton basketball scene, there's been some like really bad runs on a consistent basis at certain places. So when we're talking about where we got the name from, it's like specific to just being in a run where it was like, this was the best takeaway. Something <laughs> that someone said was the best takeaway. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm <laughs> glad. It's funny because you didn't really need to be there just to get how lame it was. Because you know, I don't want to throw too many daggers because I'm I'm a pretty self-aware guy with my basketball career, and I played in this conference. That being said, not a great conference. This particular school had a lot of nice people and stuff playing on the team. And you, you meet them after and you almost feel bad shitting on them this much. But as a competitor, you have to because they legitimately might be the worst. Someone said this and I was like, that's lofty. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? He might be right. Like they might be the worst post-secondary institution in basketball from like the 90s to the 2010s in Canada, maybe probably, which would probably mean North America. So it's just a funny place. And for whatever reason, the guys they would get notoriously bad program had so much swagger and they would get all these hood white guys. I don't know why hood white guys that looked like they could play a little bit. And then the second they dribbled, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's trash. He's terrible. I don't know why they just flocked to this school. But we went to an open gym. And and like Steve said, it was just. We'd go to be like, well, it's a Wednesday night. There's nothing else going on. I'll feel bad if I don't. Then you go and you probably leave feeling like, yeah, I'm a worse player for this. Um, And we were there and it was only like three on three. And this school had their like alpha male guy who who was pretty tall. He's probably like six five, six six, pretty muscular, could jump. Wasn't a good shooter by any stretch of the imagination, but left completely on guard. He'd maybe hit a three, and especially in pickup, he could do some moves that looked pretty impressive. And then you had this 
pencil neck geek spaz kid who was going against him. And he was actually like, you know, it, it should be something I give him credit for because he's like the hungry up and comer going against Johnny Alpha. And he's kind of given a business and they start they start beaking back and forth. So in a way, I should be like, hey, that's cool. But we're just watching from the sideline like this is the lamest thing I have ever seen in my life. And uh, so the really skinny kid, it was something like he gave the he gave the alpha dude a bucket and then just in the lamest way was like, guard me. And everyone was like, oh, God, what a dork. And then alpha guy like took his shirt off is getting all pissed off just like this guy's talking to me this guy's talking to me and we're just kind of laughing on the sideline then he checks the ball and just looked him right in the eye and it just went like dead silent he was just and i, I don't know if it's funny to everyone else but trust it was so funny checks the ball goes completely silent, just goes talking that trash and we just couldn't handle it it was so funny come home tell tell Steve, tell everybody else who wasn't there. And I, I, I'm sure time and place, knowing who it was, when it was, where it was, plays a part. But Steve suggested it for the pod name, and I think it was a perfect suggestion, man. It's one of those weird things that you just hang on to where I'm not sure why any of us remember this, like totally <laughs> inconsequential exchange at a, at a bad open run. But there are those moments where it's like, this has been a slow night. This has been maybe even a slow week. This is awfully funny. And you just kind of lodge it away in there. And if you've been to some of these runs and you hear some of the like banter that like the regulars give, it can get pretty entertaining. So yeah, we settled on talking that trash because, you know, why not? Big tribute to, to strange exchanges in, uh, <laughs> in strange open gym environments. So I think um, to start before we get into our uh, last dance stuff, um, you and I both grew up big Seinfeld fans. Yes, sir. Um, I think if anyone's a Seinfeld fan, they know uh, just how important the parents role in the show was of Jerry's parents. Uh, We never meet, we meet Elaine's dad but he's only around once. Yeah. Nothing done with Kramer, which was probably the right choice. And I'd say for me, they were guest characters, but they were as funny as anyone on the show probably ever was at their real, like apex was George's parents, uh, Frank and Estelle. Yes. So this, the other day, Jerry Stiller, who played Frank uh, Costanza passed away and this is usually where social media comes up to shine. I feel like where people are very nostalgic and people are, you know, grieving in the social media way and sharing clips and sharing uh, sound bites. And the Frank Costanza stuff is like, you forget just how funny if you're not staying up on watching Seinfeld, which is coincidentally that same time period as the, the last dance that we're talking about, like kind of height of its powers. Yeah. And you forget how funny Jerry Stiller was in that role. And he's done a lot of other funny stuff. But, like, yeah. for, for Ethan and I, that was our first real experience with Jerry Stiller, obviously being way too young for his comedy albums. And I there there it's difficult to put into words just how hilarious that was to watch when you knew uh, that they were going to be on the episode that night. Because you knew something really stupid was going to happen. And it was going to be fairly relatable 
if you've ever dealt with seniors. So, yeah. <laughs> and even when you hadn't, it was just so funny. Like, I didn't know what it was really like as an adult to socialize with senior citizens when I was younger. And every time Frank and Estelle Costanza were in a scene, it was just kind of like, all right, I'm jumping to attention. And I, I, I don't know, man. Like, Seinfeld is so far and away my favorite show for better and for worse because Larry David was like a big hero of mine. I feel like he ruined me in a lot of ways and just a neurotic freak so much of the time. But seriously, it's my favorite show and this isn't the first time I'm saying it. I'm not just saying it because he recently passed, but Frank Costanza is by far my favorite character in that show. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a comedian and everything and I don't want to make it like I'm more of a historian than I am or I've always just coveted Jerry Siller so much, but everything I've seen him in, be it even King of Queens, which is a shit show, but he's pretty damn funny in it. Zoolander as Maury Ballstein, he is hysterical. Uh, but Frank Costanza, there's just no topping then. He's one of those guys where, yeah, the, the actors need good writing most of the time. They need good writing to be funny, but he could say a line that is not funny no. in any way. And it was just hysterical between his delivery. I loved how his hand gestures always were so animated and didn't line up with what he was saying even a little bit. They just seemed like so unnecessary, but so perfect. Yeah. Um, and he never, he, I mean, even though his whole character is this angry, over-the-top guy, you never felt like he was overacting. Yeah. It was never obnoxious. He, he I, like, I don't use it lightly, man, but I think he was a comedic genius. And knowing, especially as we've gone older, his... Uh, his history in comedy with his wife and Ben Stiller is pretty goddamn funny too. And has lot done a lot of great things. It, it was a sad day. And I, I've sometimes struggled with the celebrity worship stuff we see online where a celebrity passes and it's tragic and I don't want to diminish that, but especially right now, I get why some people can be put off because you, you got so many people suffering in all these different ways and celebrity worship just kind of creeps me out. But when this happened, I, I kind of was like, you know what? I get it. Don't get so uptight about it because he he meant something to me too. And I was genuinely bummed when it happened. And I, I want what's your favorite? If you had to pinpoint one, what would you say your favorite Frank Costanza moment is? Um well I was I've been thinking about this a lot without actually having gone back and like gone through episodes yet. I watched two episodes that I knew George's parents were in. And what's important to mention here is like there was just like with everything there was the peak with Seinfeld and with Seinfeld's peak, it was when George had was living with his parents for, for my, for my money, when he loses his job yeah. and he has to move back in with his parents and you meet them and they have that very first scene. Cause I think the first scene that he ever has with them was when they're eating breakfast and oh, okay. And they're like sitting there and it's incredibly uncomfortable and super annoying, which is, kind of a reoccurring theme with Seinfeld. <laughs> and it's one where he, his, where Estelle has to go get a bra. They're having dinner. I don't mean to cry, but they're having dinner. Yes. Okay. And I think one of my favorite, cause he's getting so agitated that she's not coming back immediately. I think one of his funniest lines ever was, if you ask me to get a pair of underwear, I'm back in two <laughs> seconds. It's just the most random thing to say, like to boast about. But it really set the table for like what kind of character and guy this he was. And then how he has to break down the cup sizes. 
And this is this is where I feel like the show and the character really rings true. If you visited a, a senior relative and a loved one at a seniors at a seniors rest home, you've gotten the like, hey, do you know about this? And you say, yeah, I've heard about it, and they just <laughs> go right into it anyway. Uh, you know about the cup sizes? Yeah, I know about the cup sizes, and then it's the A, the B, the C, and the D. They, and they got break the cups with the sizes. Uh, yeah. it's it's so way- good. And the way he's so grimy, because that's my favorite moment, too. He is such a, like, he's not like a creep, but he's got this kind of creepy, grimy vibe because he's picking his teeth with the toothpick. He refuses to believe it's lycra spandex before. He's just such a know-it-all. Then, yeah, the way he's like, you, uh, you know about the cup sizes? That's what I mean. Like, his delivery, it's not that funny of a line. Someone could say that line. And it, it, and it, it would have been like, okay, if someone was like, hey, you know about the cup sizes? They got different cup sizes. You got the A, the B, the C, the D. That's the biggest. Like, only with the right delivery is that that good of a line. And you, you, I, I don't want to be over-exaggerating or anything, but like, I don't know if anybody but Jerry Stiller could make that line that good. And that, I think that's something about Seinfeld and all that's so funny is these mundane lines that really don't have punchlines but are still well written and not hacky and just the delivery in that show where i was talking about it the other day like when uh when kramer goes into work with morty seinfeld with the with the executive and he's talking about the legwork and morty goes what legwork and then kramer goes oh there's legwork like it's just that show had that down to a science and frank for my money was the funniest. And the other moment I'll say, because I want to give credit to Estelle Harris too, because Estelle Costanza and Frank Costanza were such a perfect yeah, pair. Yeah, perfectly paired. Yeah. Unbelievable. But it, uh, to give her her due is um, the scene where Larry David is Frank Costanza's lawyer who yeah, wears a cape. cape. I was going to bring it up, the same thing. You have, so, no, you have no eye for fashion. It's just... When he changed, says you have yeah. no eye for fashion and she goes from zero to 100 of screaming... Oh, because he, she goes... He looks ridiculous and then... Uh, he screams Frank, at her and then she screams back at him and they're just, ready to start fighting. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Not, he, yeah. he's, a, he's a great man. He was legitimately a great... I think people sometimes get too caught up in thinking uh, comedians are stand-ups or sketch artists like SNL or whatever, but he's an all-time great comedian and I think it's uh, it's a huge loss and fortunately he lived great life. He's 92 and passed of natural causes, so you, you, you can't get too down about it, but it's a sad loss and, and I'm psyched people were, uh, as cheesy as it's going to sound, like kind of just... <laughs> to quote office space celebrating his entire catalog because I saw so many clips and I was sharing clips and I, I said it and I meant it. I don't think, especially in a laugh track sitcom, anyone has made me actually laugh like the sound, like the laugh track other than Frank Costanza. And I consistently laugh out loud every time he's on a show. And, uh, he, he's a huge part of what made Seinfeld Seinfeld for me. He had a great line. There were a couple ones that stand out to me. The, the Frank Costanza's lawyer, um, where he's talking about how it makes him independent, doesn't follow the trends. And then when Elaine and Jerry don't cross the street to say hello, and he's slamming on the table in the diner with George of how could they not say hello, or he's, he's clapping, clapping, he's yes. clapping his hands and getting really upset. 
It's like, Elaine, I understand. And then George tries talking, and then Frank goes, how could Jerry not say hello? It's just yeah. screaming. Ah. That's visiting the seniors' home, man. And then <laughs> at the end when he re- when Jerry says, oh, it was Elaine, and he screams at George, I knew it was Elaine. Like, it was these little, little things they did where he was so a- easily agitated all the time. And it was so believable that it was like, I kind of feel like, because then when I first saw that show, I thought that was Jason Alexander's real parents because okay. they kind of look like him. They're very yeah. much, they're very much the same height. Yeah. Um, their house is like, looks so uncomfortable. And like, it reminded you of like being, you're like, Hey man, come visit my grandma with me today. And you're like, God, this sounds, yeah. Okay. And you wind up going there and it's like, you're sitting on the couch and it's like my back itches. Um, I'm really hot. Uh, they have this weird plastic thing over the section of the couch and there's these, this strange like mantelpiece that has all these odd figurines in it. It's like, that's all in the Costanza's home. So yeah, I, I think Jerry Stiller, it's not the same show. If you don't have him playing that character, it's not the same show if they never introduced those characters. Oh, and I think the, the huge, silver lining to it is that for sure there's a lot of people that didn't see just how funny he actually was so this is usually when social media is at his best of then the, that stuff gets circulated and people realize like wow this guy was really funny and talented and it's yeah. nice when when you do get these sad passings that the work that these people do gets spread around and more people can share in the idea that like wow we did lose someone that was awfully good at what they did that's exactly it. I'm glad you said that because I think ultimately the best outcome of it is he has so much funny work and his work was being funny. And now more people are seeing it and realizing like, damn, that guy could go, he man. Really and and the thing you said about the house, last thing I'll say about uh, Jerry Stiller is I always associated Queens, New York with the Costanzas. Yeah. I'd never been to New York and I always just thought of Queens as this kind of schmucky, weird loser place because George is such a loser. And every time he talks about going up to Queens, the show is like, Oh God. And then Queens is actually fantastic. Like whenever I go to New York and spend long stays there, I'm always in Queens. Um, but again, just a tip of the hat to Jerry Stiller for encompassing a whole borough in one of the biggest cities of the world and me associating it specifically with him. Uh, but no, I, I think you're spot on on everything, man. It's, 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 I'm, I'm really glad People are appreciating, especially Frank Costanza, but just Jerry Stiller and all right now. The other thing we're obviously talking about every week, and you want to talk about celebrating a figure, celebrating the shit out of Michael Jordan right now. Um, episode seven and eight came out last week, and a lot of people are saying those are the two best episodes yet. I, I think I agree. Um, what What did you think of, of Monday's shows? Um, I thought. For me, this is the MJ stuff that I wanted to see. Um, I wanted to see the maniacally competitive, uh, had his teammates operating in a bit of a state of fear, uh, you know, the punching Steve Kerr thing and um, all that other stuff where yeah, these, these were the things I wanted to see because you've heard it before, but what I wanted to see with it was, Jordan explain it, be asked about it. And I don't think there was anything that came up short when the last four minutes of episode seven, where he gets into the winning has a cost leadership has a cost. Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to win, but I wanted these guys to come along with me. And then his thing of, you know, if you're watching this and you think I'm a tyrant, no, it just means you never won anything. That really does encapsulate. And I think hit on it was like, man, everyone's been waiting to hear Michael Jordan talk about this stuff specifically, where it's the, well, why was he a nice guy or not? Nice guy. And like he says in it, nice guy really has nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's about how he played and the standard that he held himself to, and you either did it or you didn't. Right. And whether or not you did, he was going to do it, and you better come along with him, or life yeah. was going to be really tough. And yeah. I think it really does point out really well to anyone who's listening that, hey, what did you th- like? What do you think these high level guys are like? What do you, like a guy who's the most successful at what he does can't be a dude that's coming into the gym and worrying about how everybody perceives him. He's got yep. his job to do. He's as high level as they come. And there probably are going to be feelings hurt along the way. But, you know, it's been pointed out by other people as well. These guys are wired differently. This is a hyper competitive environment. These guys were the Bulls. I mean, they were the best team in the league. Yeah. If people think that there weren't fights happening, if people think that there wasn't things being said all the time within the group, then you're nuts. You're, you haven't you haven't spent enough time reading or watching stuff about what like high level, high performance people do. It doesn't even get specific to athletics. Anyone who's extraordinarily successful, there's been a lot of eggs cracked in order to make yeah. the omelet. So it's uh, the, these two episodes really were everything that I was waiting for. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to this later, mixed in with his his work ethic. Yeah, uh, that, totally. Like, I, I don't want to be too all over the place with what I'm about to say, but the way he says that at the end of you didn't win anything, essentially just saying, like, who are you to judge me when my track record speaks for itself? It's just that that's such a valid point. And, and like a lot of people have talked about online and everything. It's really interesting to see him get emotional talking about it because I wondered, is it, say, he just – covets the game so much that talking about his approach made him emotional or was it maybe the aspect of it's had a cost of the way people perceive him or this that or the other you know what i mean because he still is a human being at the end of the day even though it honestly doesn't seem like it half the time watching this docuseries but it, it was really humanizing just in terms of showing how i don't know another word as cheesy it could sound just exceptional of a human being he is but it has its drawbacks of he can't function like other people and he can't almost in his own way understand that people can't function like him. Like when Scott Burrell says he's got these standards for you and he's got these accomplishments you have to you have to get to, but he doesn't know. He's the only guy that can do that. And he knows what it takes to win and winning means absolutely everything. He will do literally whatever it takes to win. And you can't do that just as a happy-go-lucky good job everybody you gave it your best shot so yeah anybody who does critique him like i don't think he had to do that what the fuck do you know and who asked you no one cares if you ever win a three-peat retire in your prime go play a sport that you haven't played since you were a teenager do well enough that people are legit people are speculating if you stick with it you'll make it to the majors leave that come back have another three-peat if you do that then yeah like come out with a book of your leadership skills. But if 
if you're like, yeah, if you're some guy like me sitting in a basement recording a podcast talking about a guy who's never heard of you, shut the fuck up on your leadership seminar. You know what I mean? Nothing that's ever played well in um, people's arguments of why using athletics as the example of why like high level athletes and high level competitors don't translate into their world. It, it like it's like <laughs> worst argument in in the universe. So Some guy who's like, well, you know that doesn't work in my world. Okay, guy, like you know what? Yeah. You're right. If you put Michael Jordan fully geared up, fired up to play the Pacers, and then said today, hey man, you're working at Telus and you're going to be selling, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be making cold calls. No, it's not going to work. That he's going to trash talk you and like play mind games with you and maybe punch you or something like that because you're not going to make any sales. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work in your office space. No one cares about your office space. This is a completely different thing. So I think for anyone who, who uses those arguments as reasons not to like these guys, like you've got to same thing that we just said before, they're wired different. It's a completely yeah. different universe. It's not relatable to the world of, yeah, you're right. Guys like this acting this way would not translate into an office, but no one is making 10 part ESPN documentaries about a dude selling uh, mobile phone apps or, you know, like selling something where it's like, you know, Hey pal, uh, come check out my mortgage broker team and, <laughs> uh, and see if we can leverage this into uh, you know, what we achieved. No one cares. So, I think from that end of it, you have to appreciate what it is. And I, I've heard from quite a few people that this is the hugest appeal of it. You don't have to be a basketball fan, but you get a chance yeah. to peek into what it is like to see the highest level of achievements and how there's going to be a potential uglier side to that. And the funny thing is, is like in saying that, I don't feel like anything's been ugly. Yeah, it's, it's Michael Jordan's version. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact of the matter is, if he had done all this stuff and they hadn't won, it would be a different discussion. He did a lot of this stuff. It didn't always work, but they were winning and they won a lot. And there was, if you go back to that time, the belief that he was always going to win. Mm -hmm. And you only do that by having, by being an incredibly revered competitor. It's not just respect. It's not just admiration. Michael Jordan was a revered competitor. And you can see that even within his own basketball community. Yeah. I think when you look at it from the side of even his own teammates acknowledging like he was really difficult to deal with. He was yeah. very intimidating. When he turned it on you, it was going to be really, really difficult to deal with. And he was successful when we were winning. In an era where people are like talking about, you know, rings and that's all that matters and Draymond Green's better than Charles Barkley. Uh -huh. It's like purely because of rings. It's hard not to see it that way of like, well, then, OK, then there's going to be some there's going to be some bumps along the way. and It's not going to be pretty for everybody. Yeah. But I think like for you. When you look at it, when you look at the case of, of, of Michael, do you think that the emotion of him talking about himself as a competitor is that because people don't understand it 
or he just is so dead set on this is what meant so much to me and that's it like like, what do you think creates the emotion there i don't know because i don't really like assigning intent to what people say i think there's without getting political there's just way too much of that now so this obviously isn't political but i don't know what he was thinking i think that's kind of what makes it cool for me because he's wired so differently if it's because he he maybe feels misunderstood that that's that's sad and that's humanizing and that's really interesting it kind of adds to this for me like mythology of this dude who's such a killer and he's so intense but at the end of the day still is a human being or if it's just he is so passionate about the game that he gets going talking about his approach it gets him that fired up that's really cool too so i don't really know i just really thought it was an interesting scene and either way i thought it was um just very interesting and getting an insight into what his personality might be because there's a few emotional scenes in the two episodes like there's the one where he waters up a bit talking about his father as a friend you obviously understand that there's the scene i thought was really cool is when tim grover gets emotional talking about mike's work ethic that's very cool and then i'm sure we'll get to it in a bit this scene where Mike's just wailing on the floor, which is really uncomfortable and actually made me feel very bad. But that one, that was the most, all those other ones, you understand, okay, this is why. Whereas this one, you're like, I'm not really sure, but I don't think I need to know because I will never understand Michael Jordan's mentality. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just the reason he's so exceptional is obviously he's a gifted athlete and everything, but it's that mentality, man. I think that really is what differentiates him from everybody else. What, what, what did you think? What was your impression? Similar to what you just said. I, yeah. you find, I find it, you know, with, with, with Jordan, his mentality towards everything in basketball was to the utmost degree of intensity. Yeah. How could you not be emotional about that? Yeah. Like it's, I don't think it's for anyone to look at now and be like, well, you know, how could Michael Jordan, you know, be a nice guy when he was doing this or how will he be remembered? I'm sure he was still human. You know, they have enough clips, even if they are clips and there's a camera present of him being kind to others. So it wasn't like this guy was like, you know, a T-1000 where he had no emotional output whatsoever for anybody. But yeah, when it came to getting in the lines and, and doing what he did, there weren't a lot of other guys that shared anything really close to his mentality. And does that make you misunderstood? Sure. But I mean, if, if one thing has always been proven down the line and anyone who's awfully good at what they do in any industry is they're misunderstood by everyone. Yeah. So I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was terrific. All the stuff that Jordan says, like I was sitting hard right in the middle of MJ's the greatest ever in that camp, not budging. And that was before episode one hit. It's like, I've dug a hole and jumped into it in, uh, Oh yeah. We're in the trenches now. Yeah. Like I'm way down deep, man. Like I'm striking oil on this. So now it's like, (laughs) for me, everything he's talking about hits to a much, much bigger theme for what the last dance is about, which is action you know, not, not talking about it, doing it, living it, being willing to have 
something go wrong with someone or, you know, the group in order to keep figuring out a way to get the best result possible. Yeah, I, I just, him talking about how it's just, you know, actions over words, putting in all the work, not trying to think of these alternative ways to be popular with people, just trying to figure out to be the best version of himself and to win. Yeah. Is refreshing to see because super it's refreshing. so hard at times to actually believe in the era we're in where guys are like, man, all I care about is winning. Like, well, you play on a shitty team yeah. and you take all the shots and you don't play any defense and you signed a contract that disallows the team from signing yeah, anyone. Exactly. That's good. So no, I don't believe that all you care about is winning. And I also don't believe that your 15 second Instagram clip of you talking about grinding makes me believe that you're a winner anymore either. So, yeah. you know, the great exactly. thing with Jordan is he's got this long list that goes out the door of, well, was Michael Jordan actually about it? Yeah, just go watch it. Just go watch it. You don't yeah. even need to hear him speak about it. If you want to get goosebumps and hear him speak about it. But if you want to know, like, what he actually did, then, like, with anything else, who uh, anybody who's good at what they, they, they've done, check the resume. Yeah. And even when he does something that seems like, oh, man, are his priorities kind of right? Like going to film a movie like Space Jam, he got better because he trained so hard. And well, he planned for little... it. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and like you said, it's just very refreshing because he, he didn't have to – none of this was a front. This is all kind of hearsay up until now. It's all mythology. And then you, you're looking back on it. He wasn't doing it to try and get likes on Instagram or whatever to prove this is my image of this killer mentality and – this, that, and the other. No, he just he just lived it, and I, I it was it was I feel like that moment kind of like embodied that in him a little bit. I thought it was cool. My only gripe with um because what we're talking about is his leadership skills and how he could be kind of a dick to his teammates. I just wish we saw a little bit more of the real trash talk because they'll talk about oh, he was talking some serious shit. Then it's a clip of him like, hey, I'm gonna kick your butt today, and like. Well, if that's the worst thing Mike said, and that, that that's kind of tough to believe. I wish it was a little bit more seeing the real heated moments, but I also understand with him having some creative control why he wouldn't. I saw you wag your finger. You don't agree with me. No, I do agree with you. What oh. I was going to say is what I, I thought was great about the trash talk because this is like on such an easy detail to miss, but when you play with people who are – who like to talk trash and are good at talking trash and like are trying to be funny, but are trying to psych you out at the same time. Okay. If you're using someone's full name, when you're talking to them at practice, you are That's trying true. to talk shit to them. You know, Super it's like condescending. Yeah. You know, it's like time to talk shit when someone's full name is being used. Like if you hit a shot on someone and you use their full name. Yeah. You're not saying it because you want to like build them back up. So when he was doing the Scott Burrell thing, and he keeps saying, you know, Scott Burrell, Scott Burrell, Scott Burrell. It's perfect because, like, it is such a, a, a awesome thing to listen to with Trash Talk is when someone says a full name, they're going to talk shit at you. That's, and, that's, that's a good point. I got to give yeah, you that one. I, I like that part. I like the part where you could see him in drills and they were, you know, trimming it down. But I like the stuff where he's, you know, they show that clip where he's going through the lane Scott Burrell's got his hands on him, and he turns with his elbow like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying – I'm not in, endorsing it, but it just goes to show 
that's the kind of stuff that happens yeah. and that stuff is strictly done to psych you out. That stuff is strictly done to put you on your heels and Michael was doing all of it. So you got to give guys like Scott Burrell credit for at least standing in there and not losing yeah. it or, or anything like that. Even the Kerr thing yeah. where Michael clearly like is picking on the smallest guy in practice. And there's like a bit of a line that was crossed and now he talks about that. And, but this is the other part of that when people do talk trash and it does point out to with, with MJ you have to be willing to stand up for the to to these guys, and then you have to be able to stand up to them and, and then back it up. Like you have to be able to to be willing to have it be uncomfortable, and then have it be like as uncomfortable as it humanly possibly could be right. by standing up to these guys. And then you have to go play because the worst thing that could happen is if you talk trash to Michael Jordan, you hit Michael Jordan. And then you miss your next 20 shots and you don't play any defense. And it's like, oh, this guy's not going to respect me at all now. So Yeah, it's over. Yeah, I think that part of MJ is uh, is really interesting because everyone always says that, like, you know, Bird was a great trash talker. Jordan was, like, the trash talker. And to even just get a glimpse, like, to be able to, like, hop over the fence and peek into the other yeah. yard and see what it was like. I wish there was more. Yeah. But it's still awfully good. Good call. And, and and what I really liked about it, too, talking about the Kerr thing, is when, when MJ says he earned my respect because he didn't want to just be a pawn in the process. That's cool because he says it earlier and it all ties in and, and you believe it. He's saying, like, I want to win, but I also want these guys to win, too. I want them to share that. And he doesn't, even though he's the best and he's he's putting up a lot of shots, he doesn't want just bodies out there that can be like, oh, well, he's a scrub, so I know – I can get mine. Like he's still going to get his in a good team with good players. They weren't that good other than MJ. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to give the players more credit than necessary, but you know what I mean? He didn't just want bodies out. He didn't want, as he say, as he says, pawns in the process. He wants accountable players that are actually going to produce. And I thought that was really cool. And just speaking of talk trash, talking trash, I really liked uh, when he's talking about BJ Armstrong and he's, it's just such a cool fucking scene. He's in the locker room smoking like eight cigars, swinging a baseball bat, and with this huge stogie in his mouth. I, I'm, I'm, it's not going to be word for word what he says, but I think he says something along the lines of like, that's the sign of a good man when you can talk shit and even score. And I, I saw that. I, I don't know. Man, something about that. I was just like, that's just such a badass guy. Like mm-hmm. huge fucking stogie out before going to practice swinging a baseball bat for some reason and just spitting all this jive it was it was cool man i want to ask you this this is off the cuff i didn't ask you beforehand because you were a good shit talker when do you think you were at the height of your shit talking prowess um well sometimes with trash talking um you don't want it to go so far that you sound like you're unhinged. Like part of trash talking is also to, to make somebody stop paying attention to what they're doing with playing and start paying attention more to your words. And if you're just saying like silly stuff, like, Oh, you're weak. It's not really like trash talk. That's just like throwing some jab out there, but there's no real grounds for you to go on. Um, I would say probably like I had the most, I had, enough material i was just probably too self-conscious or uh, to act on it after being at san diego state because that was my first real i like talking in high school 
and it got me into trouble. Um, when I got to San Diego State and like everyone on my team talked shit and like really talked shit. And then it did boil over into like guys punching each other, guys throwing chairs, guys like squaring off with one another. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? And someone yeah. would just be like, it's all right, they'll figure it out. And it's like, yeah, they figured it out after a guy or two got hit. Um, <laughs> you started to see really quickly, I don't know, just how that was just a part of the game. And yeah. I do remember one specific time where I called a foul when I was a freshman in a pickup game in the fall. And the guy that I called it on didn't agree at all. And he was a senior or he was a junior, but he was one of our best players. And he said something like really not nice to me. And it was with the gym silent. And if I had said nothing, probably things would have continued and this had been after a couple weeks of guys kind of picking on me a little bit. Like if they had a mismatch with me, they went at me because I was the 19-year-old freshman and right. these guys were bigger and stronger and faster. So I said something back and it was not nice either. <laughs> and he walked up on me and he got like right in my face and like said some stuff and I just said a couple things back. Nothing happened. And then after that, we got along. Yeah. And I didn't do it with the intention of like, he's going to respect me after this. No, he could easily punch me in the face. Right. Um, but you do reach a point where it's like, I have to say something. I got to stand up for myself. And also too, I have to be willing to say it and then be um, strong minded enough to know that like, okay, how the rest of this game goes is going to attach directly to how I stood up for myself. If I play like a punk, that's going to be what stands out. Yeah. Um, but to get back to your original question, I, I was proud of my trash talk, like probably through my 20s. Yeah. Every now and then I'll still be able to figure something out. I, a couple summers ago, I had, I had a good run with some trash talk. We had some good we had some good runs going in workouts and uh, some good things were said. Um, That's great. I love yeah. shit talk. I it's think a it's fun such part a great it. part of competition. Like within reason. I was never – well, I had a stretch where I'd say I was I – was, I was serviceable at trash talking, but I also had my um, moments where all I would do is shut the fuck up, you fucking like. Okay, sweet. It's not trash talk. It's no, not it's trash. just being a spaz. But I'd say comedy helped me a lot with shit talking, which is unfortunate because that was men's league. I love talking shit in men's league, and I don't care who knows. But I get heck. You get heckled so much in comedy that you can keep your calm and just say something witty that irritates. The heckler that I've learned how to do that pretty well in basketball. So it's exciting times in the Sir household for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the other part that I figure we, we were both saying we should talk about because it's so important and ties into so much of the other things, be it his retirement, baseball coming back, is uh, the murder of James Jordan. How did you think that was covered in the docu in, in the episodes? Um, I, I liked. You can't avoid it. Um, no. I think them pointing out that how devastating this was for Jordan, how devastating this was to his career, obviously. And I think for anybody who can put themselves in that, in those shoes, you start to understand a little bit better of like, okay, it's odd that Michael Jordan walked away from the game when he was the game's best player and his team was the best team 
and you're leaving during a time where it's like, why would anybody leave in the prime of their career? Yeah. Well, who knows how this messes with somebody's head. If you're able to put yourself in that situation, you, you have really no idea how it would feel to not just lose a family member, but have a family member murdered. Um, I thought they did it respectfully, showing that how the journalism at the time started to get trashy and say that, well, this has to have something to do with this gambling. I know it's a fun theory and everybody loves the conspiracy stuff, especially in the U S but it's, it's super tacky and really insensitive. And, um, I, I think them putting a little bit of time on it to show that like, this was also the fallout too, of you're not just dealing with a death, you're dealing with media coming out and saying it's potentially your fault. Yeah. Would, anger anyone and would hurt anyone and jordan summed it up well where he said like these aren't people that care about me saying this stuff these are the the writers and the detractors that uh you know don't give um, don't give a crap about him either way so i thought it was good i thought they spent enough time on it um and i felt they kind of it set the right tone through the episodes where they kept going back to it of saying um how it dictated what mj did yeah uh, pretty much through the remainder of his career, going to baseball, leaving baseball, returning to the game, the rises and falls and ups and downs of his emotions once he got back into basketball and didn't have his father with him. Um, all of it, I thought, was was handled well, uh, right up into the uh, showing him in the locker room in tears. I'd never heard the audio of that before. Uh, oh. We saw it. and But that was, that was difficult. And you felt for the guy yeah. a lot of uh, having to have a camera in your face. While That's a good going, time while to have some privacy. Yeah. That really, it, I'm sh- I think a lot of people have been feeling this way, not being fans of the media, be it left wing, right wing, sports media, political coverage. Like the media just seems like such a joke now, but you're seeing it back then too. It's just so scummy and what a bunch of dipshits to just try and get that hot scoop of, yeah, Jordan's. Uh, father was senselessly murdered. Well, ho, Mike's got a gambling problem. Do you think maybe he had something to do with it? I'm like, hey, run with it. Let's print that. Like, that's such just a mean, low life thing to do. And you see it so much now. Like, that's all media is. It's just clickbait shit. Of yeah. well, if I word this this way, someone will click on it. Then you read it, and it's just this illiterate schmuck who never went to high school just the the most words and run on sentences and such a joke and uh we we were laughing about it last night a sports media of all that is is just screaming a really hot take that you probably don't even mean but then you can put the stupid thumbnail of your face screaming and yeah max whatever his name is thinks what was the one that, yeah. Max Kellerman that Andre Iguodala should take the last shot over yeah. Steph Curry. He actually said that. And it's like, how in the world is a guy who's like a boxing expert talking about Andre Iguodala being the one that takes a shot at the end of the game yeah. over probably the best shooter that's ever played in the NBA. Like if you're not just like, either you're, you're completely saying this to get a rise out of people, which, all right, you're not the first dude to do it. But on the on the second part of that, it's like if you actually believe this, they're paying you too much money to work at ESPN, man. You're stupid. You like don't know anything about the game if that is anything but a hot take. So if you're ESPN, you're like, oh it's yeah, this guy doesn't take. know basketball. We got to get rid of him. And it's a bad hot take. It's not like you're saying I think Clay should take the shot over. Steph. Yeah, 
Sure. You're saying Andre Iguodala can take the shot over Steph. Why are you saying that? You're silly. Like, you're just being silly. Like, exactly. And I, I know that's obviously very different than what was going on back in 93 or 94, whenever that was. But just kind of. It was the beginning of tabloid journalism. Exactly. I mean, they, they a, show that with Jordan's retirement in 93. Yeah. Um, you got to remember also, too, what was going on during those times. Um, and they had that in the other really good 30 for 30 that was done with, with the OJ trial. Like right. this was the beginning of tabloid stuff where it was like, you know, so-and-so was seen at this restaurant with so-and-so. And it's like, that's so- news. Who cares? Yeah. Man? Like it's, yeah, man. that's really bad, but there was, there was the start of it. And if you wanted someone to read your column or if you wanted to make yourself, um, a little bit of notoriety, then why not say, hey, who's the most famous athlete in the world? Michael Jordan. Well, check this out. I'm going to say that the reason his dad died is because MJ was gambling with uh, too many lowlifes. I don't think they went into it too deep of just exactly who MJ was running right. around with at that. Yeah. It would make it would have definitely take the 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 show in a really different turn if they would have said like yeah mj owes money to drug smugglers and yeah exactly um there's a guy that mj made a check out to that's dead and it's like well okay that's going to go an entirely different direction i'm cool with it not being a big part of it there's there's a couple books that really highlight it uh on mj really well for anyone who would be into that sort of stuff but i mean sheesh we got we got practice trash talk to get to so let's skip over the gambling stuff who cares yeah, man. And, and Bob Costas says it. He's just like, there's not one iota of evidence. So it's just stupid. It's just like shameful. And I felt the same way about the uh, scene. It was interesting to see it with the audio, like you said, of MJ just crying on the floor. But it also is like, man, let this guy just have a moment to himself. You don't need to be oh, up in his ass filming him. It was, it was, it was kind of shameful. But the the thing that I, I forgot, um about the baseball stuff a lot. Like obviously I knew he did it, but I just remember it being MJ as such a bum and such a stiff and such a joke be like partly because of stuff like the SI cover and whatever. But I I think it's more so just, we're so used to him being the absolute best of what he does. So if he's anything but that it's like, he's a failure, but it was so cool to see a guy leave really in his prime and just respect what he was trying to accomplish in this game. He wasn't a pro at, at that point. And then to so quickly, like bad, I don't. I don't want to pretend I know more about baseball than I do, but I know enough, and I like the game. And to bat two hundred two, and that in double A, like that's really legit. And mm-hmm. and just to break down what he did, leaving when he's thirty one, it's funny because he got he got suspended three times in ninth grade, like me, and he retired when he was thirty one. So he and I have taken very different directions in life, um, but. To leave when he's 31, go do this sport he hasn't done since he was 17, do pretty well at it, decide, like, yeah, I'm going to go back to the NBA now. His first game back put up 28 shots, which is hilarious. Uh, and then a few and then like a few weeks later, score 55 points against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. It's just stuff like that where not to always go back to who's the GOAT debate, but it's like how can you not see that and be like, yeah, the conversation's over. Nobody else could do that. He's the – He's the greatest to ever touch a basketball. I agree. I, I you know, the, the stuff that they show of, and I'm sure this this impacted his his career because even in the clips you can see of the '90 of his return, he's not the same. He's a little bit yeah. clearly not a little bit. He's he's rusty. Um, 
everything he's been doing for training has been for an entirely different sport. The amazing thing about it is, is the only reason they say it in the doc, and it's been documented before, the only reason he came back is because he, he thought he could steal one. Of The NBA is wide open. Right. Okay, the Rockets won against the Knicks. All right. And they beat the Magic that, that next year. But the NBA is wide open. Like you could come back to a team and and sneak another title, and there's no way that Jordan came back for any other reason but that. So yeah. you could see though that he needed more time. I mean, it wasn't like the guy came back with a whole season. Like they they pointed out. I mean, he's playing what was it, twenty games, thirty games. Yeah, but how did that happen? Like, how can you just? in March be like, yeah, I think I'm going to come back and then mid playoff series be like, yeah, I think I'm going to switch my Jersey. That could never happen today. It's just funny that even back in uh mid nineties, it was just so laissez faire and like, yeah, whatever. Come on. Well, baby. if anyone's capable of it today, don't be shocked if Dwayne Wade is playing when the, oh, the NBA, God. the NBA Seriously. comes back and he's out there. Yeah. And he's out there and just strictly for the reason so that he can retire again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked you that. I asked you that. Yesterday, I was thinking because all you're hearing about now is like there's going to be a Kobe documentary. Cool. Not trying to be disrespectful. There's going to be a magic documentary. There's some other documentary they're making I forgot about. What do you think is the most likely documentary to be made that nobody needs to see? Um, I'm a little bit on the, the redeem team train of like yeah. the only way that that would be interesting is if they get into how bad the USA team had become. Which that could be intriguing where Ben Wallace is playing for USA and guys that are like have no business playing in the FIBA game where like shooting and movement and, you know, all these other intricate things that make the game different would lead someone to wondering, like, why is this roster put together? Why didn't they practice before they went to play? Why is Larry Brown the coach? So, like, there are these (laughs) weird things of. If they got into that and how the dream team was the peak and then it slowly started to go down where even though they won in 96, nobody really liked the team, like the dream team two thing, like people totally weren't into. And then the next version of it, it was like, oh, we like this even less up to when they started losing games in international competition. If they were to make that documentary from that angle, I could be interested in it. They just do a documentary of like, well, hey, guys. Guess what happened in tw- in 2008? The most talented team in the biggest basketball country in the world brought all their best players, and guess what? They won. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yeah. Like, can we just skip – can we make that into, like, a 10-minute thing, like an ESPN short? So I'm not really into that. I'm really not into the idea of, like, a Dwayne Wade documentary for the reasons that I think other people have already pointed out. We've we see so much of these guys. There isn't anything that we really haven't seen visually from these guys. And part of the documentary appeal is seeing and hearing things for the very first time and having things revealed that just weren't making it on TV when these guys were the superstars that they are. So that's the appeal in an Ali documentary. That's the appeal in an MJ thing where you have the curtain pulled back and you have a chance to see it. We've had the curtain pulled back. These guys are making shows. I mean, like LeBron's executive producing shows on HBO of him sitting around talking about himself. (laughs) What's the point of having documentaries when guys can just make a show and do it themselves anyway? 
totally. outside of just like one more outlet where it's like, hey, does anybody want to hear why Dwayne Wade thinks he's the best two guard in this? Like, no, I don't. I don't right. really want to hear it because I've already heard it. If I see any more clips from Dwayne Wade's retirement season, I'm done, man. Like, I'm just, I know. I, I'm totally at it with that. I agree. I agree. I think that that would definitely be a documentary to be made and one that I probably would watch in the whole time be like, this fucking sucks. I think for me, the top one would be the Celtics. I think the 08 Celtics with uh, KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, because I think that is just the most overblown, over-celebrated championship maybe of all time where it's like, cool, you won a championship, but they make it out like this was the Bird, Parish, McHale, Boston dynasty. Like, they won a championship. Okay. And yeah, I get it was like the best turnaround from losses to wins ever. But they also are the guys that kind of made it like they were the anti-Miami Heat. They, they fucking originated the big three. And they yeah, won yeah. one year. And everyone makes their like all-time great team. No, it's not. So I've just heard so much more than anyone's ever needed to hear about how great that dynasty was. Shut up. It's enough. And I could if you see them win all... one championship, are you a dynasty? No. Never. No, of course, no, of course you're not. But like, yeah, I'm just kind of pointing that out. Like, it's just, it's, it's a weird take. Yeah. I, I'd be, I'd be more inclined to have someone do a documentary on like Andrea Bargnani, or <laughs> like if we did a documentary on like all the crappy Euros that came in the wake of Dirk. Like, if they did a <laughs> Nikolai Skidishvili documentary, or you know. Uh, Fredwick Weiss, the guy who Vince Carter dunked on. Um, <laughs> where is he now? Yeah, if they did like the Euro doc where it was like, hey guys, everyone knows Dirk, everyone knows Manu, like the foreign players that came over and did well. How about the guys you don't know anything about? Like, let's show Andrea Bargnani not working out for a month <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he's home in Italy. Let's show Nicholas Skidishvili not be able to do anything in the NBA <laughs> for extended periods of time. That I would be into. I would watch um, that. Let's see what else would be a, would be an interesting documentary. Um, I, I I think all these guys are good. Like that's yeah. the thing. No one's disputing that people are good. But the fact of the matter is, you have to be like in a rare group exactly. to have a documentary pack the kind of punch where people sit down and go, "I want to know everything about this guy because." I want to know what makes amazing athletes, amazing people tick. What separates it? What's the what's the driving force? What are the intrinsic things that are just in them? And then how is it fostered through things like with Jordan, where he's his incredible physical gifts combined with his work ethic yeah. take it to an entirely different level? I'm not into a uh, I don't even know. Yeah, Kwame Brown documentary or like, you know, something along those lines where it's like, hey, he was drafted first and bombed. I think that can be done in an ESPN five-minute pod. Exactly. So, yeah. I hope it's not too much of an oversaturation on the document. It is coming. It is coming. So I'm just going to try and really enjoy the last dances, the last stand of probably a good basketball documentary. Because it's been revealing, man. Like I I know we probably got to go soon, but – Something I found really, really interesting in a bit of a different direction, though, because I still want to talk about the LeBradford Smith if you're up for it. But it's always painted that um, MJ's a dick. Scotty is just salt of the earth. And I like Scotty. I am the first to admit my bias blinders are up so high 
that I, I, I'm not going to say a, a real bad word about guys, even if I could or should or whatever. But when I'm watching, it's like, yeah, Mike, Mike was like an asshole in his competitive way, but he doesn't seem like some kind of monster. And Scotty's still likable and everything, but he's kind of a dick and kind of a diva yeah. between the holdout in 98 and getting, uh, having to sit out three months during the season. And then when Ku coach, in the 94 season is called on to hit that game winner against the Knicks in the playoffs. And Scotty sits out. You're like, man, MJ said, it, and, and, and you said, and it, it's true. He says like, that will always come back to haunt Scotty in one way or another. And it's true because it's tough to not see him in a bit of a different light knowing that. Cause I had completely forgotten about that. If I even knew yeah. it to begin with, actually. I remember when that happened and it was so bizarre because everything at that point you knew about Pippen was that he was a great player, but didn't ever seem to have a problem with being the second banana. And this, this show is really showing on a consistent basis. I wish they would have spent more time on their 72 win season and their, their third, their run through the last repeat of just how good Jordan and Pippen actually play together yeah. Um, maybe that'll be in nine and ten, but they haven't talked about how these they've said it, but it hasn't really been shown in like a full segment where they've said like these guys had like a complete different level of chemistry um, that probably make them, if not the best one two tandem in the NBA, one of the very, very, very best. But right. Um, the Pippen thing was so strange because you didn't know that that was even a possibility that a guy like Scottie Pippen could do something like that, where he just decides to sit on his team and give up on a play because someone didn't call call on him for the shot. I'll never understand the explanation of, Ugh. yeah, if I can, you know, if I could go back, I wish it wouldn't happen, but if I could go back, I probably wouldn't change it. Well, then that kind of contradicts what you just said of you wish it wouldn't have happened because if you could go back, you could change it. And you just said you wouldn't. So even his explanation of it was odd in, in the, in the show where he just said, yeah, I wish it didn't happen, but I would have done it again if I was in the same spot. It's like, I don't think you hear what you're saying, pal, but I I don't know. It's an odd situation. It ages so badly. It really does. It's it's something that if you're talking about how great Scottie Pippen is, if you leave that out, then you're not talking about the entire version. You have to have that in of how he's remembered. And yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with stats. It doesn't have anything to do with wins. It doesn't have anything to do with usage rates or anything like that. It just comes down to, hey, man, he got pissed in in an important game on his team. Because another dude got called on for the shot, and he yeah. didn't check back in. Yeah, there's no way to make that not sound ugly on every totally. level. It's just ugly. Totally, and, and and that in of itself, like, yeah, it speaks for itself of how shitty of a move that is. But his explanation, honestly, was the most frustrating part for me. Like, just what you said. I hate when people say shit like that. I, it drives yeah. me up the wall when something they make some terrible decision. Like, you know what? I look back, would I change it? I don't think so. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'll still lose sleep over the shitty order I got from Bulgogi House last week and the regret <laughs> for not getting a better meal. And this guy's yeah. saying, like, even uh, 
why would you not, if you could go back in time, be like, yeah, I think maybe I won't quit on my tech. No, I'd do it again. Shut up. You have no idea. Like, that's just when people are just talking for the sake of talking and put no thought into what is said. And you just kind of leave a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to be too cynical. But there's a part of me. I'm like, you're kind of an idiot. That was disappointing. That was, it's disappointing that he did it. And it's disappointing. He explained it that way. Cause it just leaves you like, what the fuck is this dude on yeah. right now? I, I don't, I don't buy any of it. Like no. when Kate and I went to San Francisco a few years ago, we went to a taco shop they said they were famous for the fish tacos. I got the carne asada. The oh. second her fish tacos were put down, I was like, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> I regret that to this day. And if I could go back in time, I would change my order to fish tacos. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, they sit, you sit down and you look at him and he goes like, holy crap. Yours yeah. looks way better than mine. And it's yeah. like, why did I do this? It's like, well, know. is the carne asada good? Yeah, but that's not the point. Like the no. fish is like out of this world. So, if you're willing to regret, like that was five years ago. And I still, <laughs> when fish tacos come up, that's like something that like just shoots in my brain, like a bolt of lightning. Like remember when you slipped up and just didn't step up to the plate and do the right thing. If you, <laughs> if you didn't check into a game, I'd like to believe you could say like, man, if I could go back, I changed it yeah. in a heartbeat. And I know that makes me sound like I don't stand by what I did, but don't stand by what you did. Like yeah. just win the game. Let coach win it. Be happy yeah. for the guy. Like, be a so competitor. Arrogant. That's the strange thing with, with the Pippen stuff. The getting the getting surgery right before the 98 season. Yeah. I know the contract thing sucks. You know, I know he's the facilitator. He's not MJ, blah, blah, blah. You choose not to go back into the game. You chose to get surgery and kind of wuss out on your teammates. Yeah. That stuff doesn't sound good. It didn't sound good then. It doesn't sound good 25 years later. There's no way you can frame it that makes it sound like, yeah, man, but you got to remember. Remember nothing. He sat. Exactly. And I thought, like, the explanation that Kerr gave of Jackson saying, like, okay, fuck him. Put Pete yeah. Myers in. We're going to win the game anyway. And it's like every time they show the Phil Jackson stuff, it's like Jordan's going to retire. Hey, I think you're, you know, going to disappoint a lot of people, but I understand. Yeah. It's like the guy's like the most like composed, you know, hey, Dennis needs a break. He needs to go on vacation in the season. Yeah. And, you know, everything is just like he just gets it. And, master, like, man. And, and you wonder, like, well, how come this guy's so successful? Because he seems to really understand the old adage for coaching of I'm not going to treat everybody the same. Right. Um, I'm going to treat everybody with respect and I'm going but I'm not going to treat everybody the same. Exactly. And what do you know? The guy won a grip of titles, but the, the Pippin thing, yeah. It, I definitely a have a – sorry to interrupt. I definitely have a newfound respect for Phil Jackson because I think, unfortunately, his latest escapade of making the – as just whatever his role with the Knicks was, that was so bad. And when he traded for Bargnani and stuff – and was like working remotely from LA while working for the Knicks. And it just went so horribly. I kind of left a sour taste and it smelled kind of like MJ playing for the wizards. But as we were saying before, I kind of choose to view that as like Indiana Jones and the crystal skull. Cause if I acknowledge that exists, it never taints happened. a legacy. Yeah. It never happened. That's a fake fictional movie and the Mandela effect or something. Some people believe it. Others don't, but this has been cool to revisit why, Phil is called the Zen master and was such a good coach and yeah, cool. He stood up for the other guys when need be and then let the guys who needed to their own outlets because they're such different personalities. He let them have it. Um, 
the other thing we say we're going to talk about is the LeBradford Smith story. That's a great story. It is a great story. I'm so glad that they, they pointed that out and that there's actually video to go along with it. Yeah. Like that story has been told and I feel like people have gotten it wrong where it's like Mookie Blaylock scored 40 on Jordan one time and said, nice game, Mike. And it's like, wait a sec. I thought it was Tracy Murray. And then no, 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 wait, it was this guy. And it was like, no, right. the original thing was LeBradford Smith. Cause it was a first year guard with the bullets and he had the game of his life and didn't say a word to the guy. And then the very next night gets torn apart. I, I don't think even when they explain it, it does justice to how in uh, yeah how maniacal you have to be <laughs> to play a game that you won. They showed that the Bulls won, and Michaels just so takes it so personal that this guy had a great game that you create a scenario that never happened in your head in order to get up for the next game. But it's so cool, like how that part of the Jordan mythology being explained in that specific instance was something that was so famous at the time. You would hear these rumblings of how teams and players and coaches would say, like, don't give him a reason to care more than he already does. Right. Don't rile him up. Don't say anything to him. Like it literally is that thing where it's like, just look at the floor and keep your move, feet moving forward. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. Like he's like a freaking T-Rex. Like it's just like Seriously. the second you move, he's going to come over and, and be able to see you. So like I I think it's incredible that they that they did tell that story, that they did say like, yeah, he said didn't really happen. But this is what he had to do in order to maintain his edge and how like that's just so unique because if someone could try and do that, be like, man, I'm pissed. Then they go home and eat dinner and go to bed and they wake up the next morning and be like, ah, sucks that we let that guy get 39. They're yeah. not going into the game next day still seething mad no. and hang on to that through the whole game. It's just one of a kind with that. Really one of a kind. Yeah, kind of getting emotional at the end of the episode seven or him punching teammates in the face or him making fictional stories up about how guys have wronged him or just really sh- reaching like we were talking about last week wanting to personally punish thunder dan marley because jerry Krause likes him it just shows he's a different dude and there's a reason we're talking about that guy as the, like the quintessential factual go because if, if you're a normal guy who's just like like you said like oh that mother, that mother the fucking guy I'm, I'm gonna come after him and then you have a meal and you're like yeah it's not that big a deal he's we're not having this conversation at all so it's funny because I'm like so thankful for that LeBradford Smith story because again, that kind of just embodies MJ. And without stories like that, we don't have this documentary. And especially yeah. right now, and we need shit to do. I'm I'm sad that next week's the last week, but I know I'm gonna watch it. Then I'm gonna take some time, reflect, and then watch all ten episodes. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's gonna be a good one. And then at that point, they'll probably have the uh, Saginaw Jop documentary or. <laughs> Yeah, Eric Dampierre. Yeah, they'll have an Eric Dampierre documentary. Or um, why can I not think of the guy's name who played at UConn? The really, really big. Oh, Hashim Thabit. They're gonna have the Hashim oh, Thabit. God. Twelve, God. twelve parts. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. He'll fund it himself or something. And 
I'm, I can't wait to see the rise of like self docs on Instagram. Oh God. Dudes are all of a sudden like going to go through their old game tape, slice it up themselves, do a voiceover, leave out that they got kicked out of school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Like I, I'm, I'm super, I'm super thankful for the last dance. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how this is going to impact the NBA when it starts up can be it with fashion or if guys are trying to have more of this, approach that michael had which would be manufactured because if they didn't have it before they can't have it now but what i am worried about is the onslaught of documentaries coming in exactly what you just said some narcissistic guy being like you know what i got a lot of footage from back in the day i'm going to produce my own documentary and no one is going to fucking care and i'll still watch it because i'm a bum yeah i think yeah the whole idea of every story needs to be told yeah I, I, I respectfully disagree with that sometimes, but uh doesn't mean you can't still look at it and laugh because, yeah, I, I'm sure there's going to be some uh, some revealing takes from oh, yeah. uh, executive producer, whoever the video is featuring. So, yeah, doesn't <laughs> well, quite pack the same to ridicule. We'll have people to ridicule, which is kind of needed be a focal point of this pod, I think. You got yeah. anything else on this week's episode? Um, not really. No, yeah. I th- I think uh, they set the stage up nicely for the last two. Um, even knowing the result and the outcome of their series with the Pacers, you know, I'm sure there are people that did hop on the old search and are like, "Wait a sec, did the Pacers beat the Bulls?" I was like, oh, "I know, no. man. Mike Michael wins." So well, the uh, music and the way Reggie says it, it's what you said last week. I'm like, this is fucking attitude era wrestling i I was thinking the same thing i I know what happens but did i forget like scotty turns heel and like hits mj with a chair like horace comes back in in a bulls jersey and everybody's cheering and then he turns on mike and he's wearing a pacers jersey or something they set it up so perfectly and and just oh man the 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 drama and all this you can't you can't write this stuff like between Horace Grant leaving, goes to Orlando, eliminates the Bulls, see him next year in the playoffs. It's just, ah, it's such perfect theater. And I think it's really, knowing the series with the Pacers, that's just going to be next level next week. I'm really psyched for that one. And, of course, the Jazz. I'm really, really excited to Yeah, they haven't shown either of the two series with the Jazz yet. And those no. were, like, not incredible series as far as, like, high scores or things like that. But, I mean... Jordan hits it. I mean, there's a couple game. There's a couple game winners. There's the flu game. There's like there's a lot of intrigue and excitement from those two series. So there's going to be a lot, lot to get to in the in the last two episodes that uh, should be pretty entertaining. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm anxious to see it. It's going to be a bummer when it's all done. It really is. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then we'll we'll be back next week with uh, with talking that trash and talking about the end of Last Dance. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's Talking That Trash, everybody. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the last couple episodes of The Last Dance, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe.